Hello. Hello. It's November. Uh, it is yes? what for me it's I think week twelve slash thirteen of the semester. I think NUS has just well more or less ended their semester, but we are sort of on the tail end as well. Uh, we have I think another two or three more weeks Does left to go. NUS in that. I don't know. Or maybe it's sort of the teaching period has ended. I'm not sure what the academic calendar is like, actually. That's a good question. I think I am on week 11. Oh, that's... Really? Yeah, because the Penn academic semester runs all the way up to basically the week before Christmas. Okay. But then again... That's a bit late. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, NYU was the same. Mm. Like, we had semesters where... The final day of the semester was December 23rd. Right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. That's rough, man. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, I think we're... Okay. Let me put it another way. Assignment 11 is due Mm. on Tuesday. Well, my Tuesday, your Monday. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that this is week 11. I'm actually not sure how to... Okay, yeah. so I'm officially in week... I mean, this week is still week 12, but next week will be week 13. And we only have 16 weeks, so or three more weeks. But I will be gone for the last week of the semester because I have research funding to go to the Netherlands. And we can talk about this uh, over this episode. Okay. It is a weird time to be considering traveling again, even mm-hmm. though you know we haven't actually really properly been able to travel for the last... What is it? Two years now? Just under just so I don't know. Well, I mean, um, in your case, you're literally traveling for work. So I. Well, okay. Well, I mean, work is one thing, you know. So I think everyone knows that I work on birds, and a lot <laughs> of my work involves natural history museums because yep. that's where a lot of these specimens are stored, right? Mm-hmm. So I managed to secure funding from the European Union. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very generous grant as well called Synthesis Plus Transnational Access where they literally pay for two weeks of okay. expenses for you to travel to a natural history museum anywhere within Europe, including the UK, uh, <laughs> to do museum work. Okay. Yeah. So they're paying, I think they're covering up to 500 euros of airfare. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my airfare is just, just slightly over that, but yeah, you know. Okay. Um, I'll cover the balance. And then I think 90 euros of hotel cost per day, which is very generous, and 27 euros of daily stipend for food. Right. So That's not decent. too bad. That's right? decent. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be there for 14 days. Oh, well, I mean, so the plan is uh, currently for me to fly off on the 7th. Okay. <laughs> I have class on the 7th. And more importantly, I have a group presentation on the 7th. So the idea, and the, the presentation is supposed to be on the 7th, 8th, and 9th. So right. I've arranged with the professor to present my stuff on the 7th, the first mm-hmm. thing in the class. And then immediately after class is over, grab my luggage and run to the airport and fly out at 3 p.m. Okay. Yes. And then by the time I arrive in Amsterdam, I will zoom in for the remaining class, <laughs> the remaining group presentations. Wow. <laughs> So I will arrive in Amsterdam on the 8th and then I plan on being there until the 23rd. Amsterdam, I have to go to Leiden where the, uh, the, the formerly you know, Dutch Natural History Museum now called Naturalis mm-hmm. is located in Leiden, historical, really old town. I think university the, town as well. University town. I think one of the older universities in the world as well, right? Oldest in the Netherlands, I believe. In the, right, okay. Oldest in the world is what? Uppsala? No. Is it? Nah. Maybe. If you're talking about like, well, okay. So it depends, right? It depends on, this How is you, an okay. area of contention depending on what do you consider a university? Right. Because there are educational institutions yes. in, in the Middle East, Western Africa, in India yep. that are older. But what we would think of as a university in the sense of you go there, you study, you get like a diploma at the end and that qualifies you to do certain things. Wikipedia says University of Bologna. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure Bologna is the first in the modern sense. Right. But there are like religious institutions in India and I think Morocco that are older. 
Right, but some of which, I mean, things that the Nalanda University had stopped and then was refounded in more recent times as well. Yeah, Nalanda has is not uninterrupted, as in right. the operation is not uninterrupted. Yeah, there is one in Morocco that I forget the name. Okay, might have to look it up. I don't know if it's been in continuous operation, but I think it definitely had a more religious focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it started and I think now it might be constituted as a university but I'm not sure about that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So Leiden, uh, Leiden University started 1575. Okay. Yep. That's the oldest in the Netherlands, pretty sure. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. In in any case, I will be in Leiden for about two weeks including weekends at Naturalis which is a really old natural history museum. And of course, the reason why I'm going there is because of colonialism, a significant chunk of the the collection comes from Indonesia. Yeah, you don't say. Which, yeah, right. Yeah, which is an area, you know, that I'm currently studying. And then, so the question then, and then I have another appointment, but this one is out of pocket, my own pocket, Mm -hmm. uh, with the British Museum of Natural History, or, well, they don't call it that anymore. They call it the Natural History Museum UK to distinguish themselves from the British Museum. I just Googled Naturalis. Yes. Yes. And the first thing that came up is that in Marine Parade, there is a condo called Naturalis. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that Singapore-specific search. Really? <sighs> wow. We were paying off there. Now, this is Naturalis Biodiversity Center. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I think most people in Singapore, if you're Googling Naturalis, you are looking for the condo. That's true. And you know, their natural history collection isn't as good, I think. Uh, Yeah, you don't say. So I think I just heard a Java and Minor call in your background. No comment. It's it's good to hear the the bird sounds of home. Over here, it's mostly house finches. Hell, what? House finches. House finches. Okay, I heard... House finches. I heard hell's finches. No, no, no. I was house like, finches. what would a hell's finch be? Sure. But, okay. So I have another appointment in mid-January at the Natural History Museum UK. Which, okay. interestingly enough, I don't know if I've talked about this before, right? Most people who are familiar with the NHM UK mm-hmm. will be familiar with their London building. Which, yep. if you know London, is just south of Hyde Park and south of, is it not the Apollo? What's that? Performance Hall? Uh, Royal Albert. The Royal Albert Hall, that's right, yeah. yes. So south of Hyde Park and south of the Royal Albert Hall, that's the Natural History Museum UK, uh-huh. right? But their bird collection is not there. That is their main building, but their bird collection is actually an hour and a half away by train in the small town of Tring, which I don't think anyone has heard of. Well, I mean, made famous by the feather thief. Yes, which oh, you read. Did you read it? I did not read it. Uh, I listened okay. to a podcast episode. Nice. Oh, NPR. Yeah. NPR had a good podcast about it with yep. a very sweary Rick Prum, who is a <laughs> professor uh, I worked with uh, at Yale. He's a nice guy, but he has a very potty mouth, <laughs> which is typical of many ornithologists, I feel. But in any case, yes. So Tring is where the main bird collection is. And it's actually the old former residence of the former uh, manse of Baron de Rothschild. Oh, uh, okay. Donated not just his property, but his collection of exotic birds as well to the Natural History Museum in the UK. Right. Well, although some of his specimens ended up at the American Museum of Natural History, which I will need to visit at some point as well in New York City, on the condition, interestingly enough, that his portrait hang forever in the bird collection room. I mean, rich people, am I right? Well, yes. So I will need to make it a point to take a, a photo of his portrait when I do visit. I've been to the bird collection once at uh, the AMNH, but it was a very rush. I had literally like 20 minutes <laughs> to see the collection because I think I was, this was I think when I first got to the US for my PhD, mm-hmm. I came in via New York City, but then I went up to Maine for a brief bird watching trip. And mm-hmm. then I came back down to New York City on my way back to Albuquerque. So I had like half an hour to drop by the AMNH for a social <sighs> visit. <laughs> well, Went I in. Mean, well, you know, yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Went in, said hi, spoke to all the, the, the necessary people and then poof, I was gone. But yeah. that was, uh, yeah. Museums are fun. Museums are interesting places. So yes. So now my quandary mm-hmm. is that my visit to Naturalis and so my funding 
mm-hmm. ends 23rd of December, mm-hmm. which is fine. And then I have another appointment 4th of January to the 11th of January. Okay. The question is, what do I do between then? Nothing, I believe would be the answer <coughs> in Europe. Yeah. And the problem is, you know, doing nothing is potentially expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, I mean, part of it is like what work is available to fill that time? I do not want to do any work because none of the museums are going to be open anyway right. over that exactly. period of time. No museums staff are, are going to entertain my nonsense request during yeah, the time anyway. So, yes. So if, if your priority is like, do you have any particular priorities in terms of like budget? Right. Or? So there are a few things I want to do. There are a few things I would like to do. And there are a few things that, uh, of course, everything being constrained by budget. So, I mean, I don't have a fixed sort of, I mean, I have some money some uh-huh. savings, but I would prefer if spending was kept low-ish. So I am actually currently, what I think for sure I'll be doing definitely for now, right, mm-hmm. is spending Christmas. So 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, maybe the 27th mm-hmm. in Amsterdam. Okay. Because surprisingly enough, Amsterdam is not that expensive, Right. It is an expensive city, for sure. Yeah. But there is a reasonably affordable hostel. This is actually the hostel. I've stayed in this. I've patronized this chain before. It's called Meininger. It's a German chain, I believe. Yep, it is. And I mean, Meininger is definitely affordable. Yeah. And it's nice. Like the hostel. I've stayed in their, I've stayed in their Hyde Park branch before, which I'll talk more about later in the UK. And it was gorgeous. Okay. It was very well maintained and it wasn't too expensive. I mean, in terms of expectation setting, that's the one that is in the Boy Scout building, right? Ah, yes. Okay, so let's get to the London one. So the London one is slash was in the Boy Scout building, the Baden Powell House. Okay. And I think you can see where I'm going from this. The Boy Scout Association, in the middle of COVID, found itself strapped for cash. So they sold the building. (laughs) And together with it, the hostel. Right. So the London branch is no longer operational. The reason that I bring up in the interest of setting expectations is that probably not all mining uh, buildings are going to be that nice. No, that's true. That's true. But, you know, I've looked at the reviews. I've looked at the the photographs. The one in Amstel, in Amsterdam, looks pretty nice. Okay. It's close enough to downtown. And mm-hmm. it's also close enough to train stations in case I want to go and look for birds, which, right. you know, is a, which, right. you know, I mean, it's actually a good thing because over Christmas, if nothing is open, go look for birds, lah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Assuming the train schedules, you know, operate. Uh, I mean, they in, will in operate. The if, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's about getting out there early and it's about yep. making sure I don't get stuck in the middle of the nature reserve. <laughs> I mean, well, it depends on where you are, right? If you're in the Netherlands, you're probably not really going to be stuck. Not stuck. really. So, okay. So the thing is, the big nature reserve in the Netherlands, uh-huh. in, in Amsterdam, is called Oostvaardersplassen. Okay. Let me look it up on Google Maps. Oostvaardersplassen, which is to the east of Amsterdam. It's in a suburb called Leestad. Okay. And it's a really interesting project. A very right. controversial project as well. So this was a big experiment in a concept called rewilding. Uh-huh, okay. Right, big ecological idea, which is that, you know, hey, what if we just set aside this land, which used to be part of a lake, right? right. And don't touch it. Like literally right. not manage it at all, right? And this was, uh, I think, a concept that was proposed in the 60s and the 70s and then implemented in the 90s in, in the Netherlands. So this, and this lakefront was essentially converted into a wetland. I think a bund was built across part of the lake to hive it off. And okay. the idea was to see what would happen if they just left the whole place alone. Right. So early stages, it was really successful, like immensely successful. Uh-huh. Lots of birds came back, lots of vegetation grew in. The first recolonization of white-tailed eagles in the Netherlands happened at Uswadersplassen. Okay. But in the 2010s, in fact, in recent years, in 2019, 2018, there have been some issues that have been popping up which um, sort of highlight how complex some of these experiments can be. So because it's unmanaged, I think, I I could be wrong, but what I read so far suggests that they have not been controlling herbivore numbers. So things like horses and things like cows. And those numbers have exploded, which has knock-on effects on the ecosystem. When you have 
high populations of grazers, this means that your vegetation doesn't grow back so well. Right. It prevents the formation of forests and woodland, and it promotes the expansion of grassland and pasture. Okay. Right, because all these saplings that will grow into trees get eaten straight away. Right. Right. And so this means that your ecosystem essentially reaches a sort of stalling point. It doesn't actually regenerate back into something more primeval. Right. 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 The other problem also is that your high population sizes of herbivores means that at some point it becomes unsustainable. So and I okay. think in 2019, there were complaints that there were many, many, many dead cows across the entire area. Yeah, okay. You could smell the place really, really, you know, it's really bad. And right. so this led to protests, you know, controversy. And, you know, now, now there, is, there is some sort of rethinking going on, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. So I would very much like to, to visit this spot to see sort of how the experiment is proceeding. And of course, you know, a lot of these things that you read, it really, you really need underground context to, to really understand it in, in full. So right. I am quite curious to go and visit and take a look. The problem is it's outside Amsterdam proper. Mm, it's yep. to the east of Amsterdam. So there is a train, and this, this took me a while to figure out because you know, Google Maps actually, for some reason for European train systems, doesn't really do a very good job. So to get there, I have to take a train to... Where the hell is this? I don't even know. Hang on. Um, I'm looking it up now. Either to Leistad or is to Almere. So I'm looking at, at this, right? Leistad or Lelystad? Lelystad, sorry. Lelystad, yes. Okay. So the idea is to take the train to Almari Ustvadas. Okay. And then switch to an Uber to take me into the visitor center proper. Okay. Yeah. I mean, otherwise it's 88 euros. But if I do this, it's probably going to be about 30 euros. Right, right. Right, which is a huge saving. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I have to make sure that number one, Ubers are even available. Mm -hmm. Number two, that train timings also sort of make sense during a public right. holiday. Yeah. I think as a point of clarification, right? I think the thing that I would like to say about being in natural areas in Europe compared to the US is in the US, you are really on your own. You really are. You are really on your own, right? The the areas are massive. Yep. There is no cell coverage. There is no cell coverage. And there is no guarantee you even see a person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and some of the trails can be very technical and very narrow. And yes. I mean, they will be well-maintained, right? But Right, by are, and large, yes. Yeah. But you are expected to know what you're doing. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and in general in Europe it's okay my experience at least with the area in and around around Freiburg and also I mean in, in some places in, in the UK right like you know Hampstead Heath and yeah, areas like that it's more managed it's much more managed and also mm -hmm. because Europe is just denser yep you're never really that isolated you have cell coverage the trails are yeah. wide yeah. And I think it's a case of if you are really stuck. Call 998. Right? Yeah, exactly. If you're really, really stuck, like you're never like, okay, I am I have to find a way to survive overnight kind of yeah. situation. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 you're yeah. never in that situation. Whereas in the US, it's you have to wait for someone to notice that you are missing before yes. anyone comes over to rescue you. Yes. No, I mean, this is this was a real thing that because when I was in the US, I joined a hiking club and I kind of like read up about the things that you need to do to be prepared for a hike. Right? Obviously, in, yep. a, in the context of a hiking club, you have some level of assistance and protection, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not alone. You are going with somebody who is experienced mm -hmm. and, um, and things like that. But there are some things that you learn quickly, like... Obviously, no cell reception is one. Yep. Then the other thing, which is you go out prepared for any eventuality, right? Like an injury, a bear. I mean, I was in... <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was... To be honest, you I never thought You probably were not bears. in grizzly country, but you yeah. probably in black bear country. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, um, so grizzly country, you really have to. I have friends who've backpacked Alaska, uh, hiked Alaska, and they're like, "Yeah, you need your bear yeah. spray with you because if you don't have bear spray with you and or a bell, you know, and or a bell actually, not just or, you are putting yourself at serious risk yeah. of danger." Yeah, you are also looking at something <clears throat> like over some terrain. You definitely, well, you don't need need it, but you may very much want hiking poles. I, yes, I hiking bought, poles, crampons. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I bought hiking poles after a trip where the trail was very narrow, very technical, mm. and mm. It, it was rocky and slippery. Right. And yep. on the right side, it was just, it just falls off. Yep. And it's a bunch of <laughs> trees, and then at the bottom, there's a river. Yeah. Yeah. We were hiking, mm-hmm. right? And this was supposedly a beginner hike. Oh, wow. And okay. so all the people, who are like beginner hikers, right? Yeah. Are like panicking and talking to, asking the guide who is very experienced, like, yeah. what happens if we trip and fall? And then he said, the trees will catch you. <laughs> <laughs> this was oh. not particularly reassuring, reassuring as you imagine. No. And so after that hike, I went and I bought a pair of hiking poles. So that's the thing. I have never used hiking poles before. Well, no, I have. And it does make a difference. It I does, don't yeah. habitually bring hiking poles with me because you know there's extra weight in my field pack. Yes. Especially if I'm doing field work. Yeah. But as I get older and my knees start to give problems, I am starting to see potentially having hiking poles as a necessity right. rather than as a luxury. Uh, right. Yeah. Because you know, I have I have done really, really technical trails before. Yeah. And I think many of those times I found myself severely underprepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um I've hiked the mountains of Sumatra, you know, and those those mountains are proper mountains. Yeah. And it's been terrifying. I've I've hiked Kinabalu, not to the summit, but you know, the the, the mid the just below the summit trail. Right. And the trails there can be surprisingly challenging, right? Narrow right. and really sheer. Yeah. Um, there was once I was in Sumatra, we were chasing after the um the great Argus pheasant, you know, this incredible, incredible bird that lives in the forest of Southeast Asia. The problem is these birds, they're essentially chickens, but they use the contours of the mountains, the valleys, right, and the canyons mm-hmm. to echo their calls over incredible distances. Right. Which means to get there, you actually have to go up and down and up and down these valleys. Right. Right. So we hired a guide, you know, this was in somewhere in the middle of North Sumatra. And uh, I mean, it was quite a brutal hike because I wasn't used to it as well. And mm-hmm. we found ourselves at the bottom of this valley, right? You know, it's standing in the middle of a stream. And then we were looking up at this sheer rock face. And the guy said, okay, we're going up. <laughs> I was like, that? <laughs> Just a rock. And yeah, you know, okay. he wasn't lying. We, we literally scaled that rock face. And right. you know, I had my monster camera with me, my binoculars, my field right. pack. My, and it was like, yeah, you could hear the, you know, the lens was scraping its way up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. That was, oh geez. But you know, we saw the bird. So I mean, uh, all right. I guess it was worth it. I don't know. Mm. Um, the camera will probably have something different to say about this, but you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's the thing about like expectations, right? When when I first went hiking in Freiburg, I carried that set of expectations from hiking in, in the US. Yeah. Yeah. With me. And so I'm like, okay, I must I must be prepared. I have my backpack with like all the crap, hiking poles <laughs> and and it's not like that at all. And I think yeah. this one, this might be different because Freiburg specifically is a very hiking city, right? Right. It's a city that attracts people who want to hike. Uh, right. because of the proximity to the Black Forest. Well, see, the problem I have is that, and the problem that compounds every all, all the risks for me is that I don't drive. So I am beholden mm. to public transport. Right. I really should learn to drive, but it's just, I cannot find the time or the willpower to go and learn. Right. Yeah. No, but I think the thing is, in general, this is hard to say because I've my experience is really limited to this one corner of, of Germany. Europe. Uh, yeah. Right. But in, like the Germans in general are just very proud of their forest. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the Black right. Forest is, you know, national pride sort of thing, right? Yeah, definitely. But it's not just the Black Forest. It's mm. the whole of yeah, Germany. The network, yeah. And exactly. I think, yeah. especially in a place like Freiburg, like, okay, the Black Forest is proper forest, right? Let's mm-hmm. like not get that wrong. But you go up the mountain and it's like the trails are wide. 
Yeah, yeah, they're mainly. very wide. Well, like you it's could also lie because it's them. not technically you know primeval forest; it's logging yeah. forest. So these yes. are actually logging trails historically. Yes, and I think that's also one of the things that really sets apart like the idea of a national park mm. is very American, actually. Yeah, in a lot of places, you just don't really have the luxury of saying this whole area. Let's just not. Well, you know, I mean, how much of Europe is actually primeval? I think the only primeval forest I can think of is there are small patches in the UK, small patches in Poland, I think, or no, right. there's a substantial patch in Poland. And that's about it, really. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I think that's the other thing that it contributes to that feeling of difference, right? Because mm. when you go to the Black Forest, it is a huge forest, but it's dotted with population, like small population centers, right? Yeah. You walk around and occasionally random restaurant here, mm-hmm. small gingerbread house. there. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the gingerbread house, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Big bad but wolves. You will occasionally like come across <laughs> monasteries actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just random yeah, ones. Yeah. Well, monasteries forest. meaning good beer, right? Well, I don't drink, so I can't. Well, a lot of them will have that. good keller beer. Uh, yeah. Or vice beer. Yeah. And again, because humans have lived in this area for a, for a long time, super yeah. well marked, and you walk along the trail markers, right? You don't just get trail markers, but you get these like signposts yeah. that will be like train station, 21 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> right? American right. trails are like, there's a triangle there that tells you you're on the right path. And this triangle is tiny. It's like three by three cm kind of a marker nailed into a tree. And I mean, if you yeah, miss it, you're gone. You get that style of, of trail marker as well, but occasionally yeah. you will also get the big the signposts. The big signs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which in the US, you know, you nah. cannot guarantee at all yeah. will be there, right? So it's, yeah, it's a very different feel. And you know, having hiked you know, both in, in Scotland and in the US, yeah, you do actually see a big difference in the approach. So yeah, so now my issue is, okay, I think I more or less confirmed that I will at least spend Christmas in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad place to spend Christmas in because the big museums, the Van Hoef Museum, the Rijks Museum, they are, the Amitage, I think they're open okay. over Christmas. And it's also because the Netherlands is relatively small. If I need to visit The Hague or to Rotterdam or Wageningen, I can always take a train out. Right. Right. Because I have colleagues in Wageningen that I might want to visit. Uh, right. A colleague there who works on hybridization in birds. Mm-hmm. So I want to probably have a chat with him at some point. I might do that either over one of my weekends while I'm in Leiden or over the sort of the Christmas break if he's, if he's available and around. Right. Uh, yep. We're going to have to depend. So the question now is, okay, on the 27th, right, um, mm-hmm. onwards, from the 27th of December to the 4th of January, mm-hmm. do I move straight to London Right and spend the entire time there, which I've only been in London all of five days. Yeah, I have hardly seen even a, a fraction of London. Right, mm-hmm. could very well be done. Or I'm thinking because I have a colleague who lives in Stockholm, who I have been meaning to visit to chat yep. with about work. The problem is Stockholm is really far away, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't know whether it's worth the time and the money to schlep all the way to Stockholm for one or two days and then schlep all the way to London from there. So I have two points of view about this. One yes. is, is there a cost differential? So I'm still working out the, the math, uh-huh. but there is an interesting development that I've only discovered over the last few days. Uh-huh. There is something called the Eurail Global Pass, uh-huh. which for 288 euros, Okay. You can take four days worth of trains. Right. Unlimited for four entire days. Right. Which is not a bad plan, even into the UK. And the thing is, if I go from Stockholm to London by train, I save myself one day's worth of accommodation because it's a full 24 hours right. by train. So it actually could potentially be almost, I mean, it probably be just slightly more expensive than going straight to London. Right. right, because if I spend two nights, one night heading up to Stockholm, one night heading from Stockholm out, mm-hmm. I save myself about hundred hundred dollars at least, right? Because accommodation in in London is rarely below fifty a night. Yeah, it's really expensive. Right, it's unbelievably yeah. expensive. Yes, unless I want to stay like you know in Milton Keynes and commute to London every day. No, <laughs> no, and even whatever you can get right for 
I would say even in the anything in the realm of two figures per night in London, you're yeah. looking at a bed. Like a tiny in zone four. bed. Well, okay, not, <laughs> not that bad. Not that bad. Um, but I mean, okay, one of the hostels that I okay, I've I've stayed in two very memorable hostels in London. Okay. Both of them, I mean, I have a feeling they're both closed now because of COVID. Right, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but it's good, ton of businesses. Yeah, yeah, but if I can find it, so first one is maybe this place. Let's let's see because it was quite big actually, and it was called the Generator. That's in Stockholm. Yeah, is because it? it is a chain as well. Oh, it's a chain. It's okay, a chain. Yes. Yeah. So it says stay at Generator Kings Cross. I I wouldn't associate Ooh. it with Kings Cross to be honest. Bloody hell! But yeah, see the problem not, is. Associated with King's Cross, but it's hostels. It's I would prefer not to stay in the dorm <laughs> because so, of COVID, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there is that. I mean, yeah. So, no, it's also partly because I'm getting to the age where I really cannot stand living in dorms. Yeah, there was definitely an age component to it where right. it's, it's good a, for people in their twenties. Uh, for people like us who are, I think, left the twenties well and truly behind. <laughs> I would prefer if, good God, <laughs> not to relive the hostel experience or the dormitory. Hostels with private rooms, I'm okay. I'm actually, you know, okay with like small rooms with just a bed and a toilet, right? Yes. Shared toilets, a little bit less welcoming, but you know, I just one bed, one toilet that's clean. Yeah. I honestly have no complaints. So the generator hostel? Private Definitely. room. Well, when I stayed there, I stayed in yeah. a 10-bed dorm. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. I honestly, uh, kind of mixed feelings about it. It was really yeah. cheap. I think it was yeah. like twenty years. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think when I was in Edinburgh, I stayed in a hostel, thirty-six person mixed sex dorm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but we were in the literally in the shadow of Car- uh, Edinburgh Castle. Right. Look out the window and it's Edinburgh Castle right there. And it was right. dirt cheap as well, but it was, yeah. my God, what an so awful experience. The nearest train station to Generator, I believe, is actually Russell Square. So, Russell very Square, central. which is, yeah. Very central. Right. And, like, you know, just the museums are all on the doorstep. Exactly. You can walk to Euston or King's Cross. Yeah. So, really good location, very cheap. Yeah. No PowerPoints in the dorms. Oh, well, big surprise. Right. And if you wanted to, charge your phone well okay so they yeah you go to the lobby where they have one of those cubicle things that you have to pay to use oh jeez and squeezing you for every dollar you have and then they have like a canteen of sorts that has powerpoints Ah, so you go there like you want to use your laptop right you go there and you hope that there is a powerpoint free (laughs) yep yep Um, not coincidentally they also at the time that I went, which is nine years ago now, they had an attached bar. Oh yeah, yeah, not surprising. There right? we go. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. very much like uh, you are in your twenties, you are traveling, like gap year or Erasmus oh, study yeah. abroad. Correct. Yeah. Right, and you want to party or that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so this is won't apply to you, but. One thing that I learned from all that hosteling nine years ago, Mm -hmm. if a hostel has female-only dorms, Mm -hmm. take it. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The reason for that is not necessarily, it's not even a case of, you know, like, oh, I feel like I need the safety or security. Mm -hmm. It's very simply, if a hostel has female-only dorms, all the women will be there. And if you are in the mixed dorm, all the other people will be male. Correct. I, yep. Yeah, that is a, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yep. been my experience at yep. hostels where I've ended up in a mixed dorm. Although, and you know, I, yeah. There are female only dorms, yeah. I should say I have actually continued hosteling for a surprisingly lengthy amount of time, well, even after my 20s, because uh, even my most recent trip to Japan, mm-hmm. I mostly stayed in hostels as well. And I stayed in a really cool hostel in Tokyo. Um, it was, in fact, right. I think the coolest hostel I've ever, I've ever stayed in. It's modeled after a library. Oh, okay. So like in between the, it's more like a, it's a hybrid between a hostel and a capsule hotel. Right. Which is a very Japanese thing. So you sleep in these individual capsules and in between are books, like 
bookshelves and books. So right. if you felt so inclined, you could wake up in the middle of the night, pop out of your little capsule and just sit down on the couch somewhere and read. Right. Okay. And tons of books. So it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Uh, and it's in the middle of, um, of uh, where's that, that downtown area in, uh, in Tokyo. Shit. I can't Shibuya? remember anyway. Not Shibuya. The other one. The other one S. <laughs> uh, I have no clue. I've never been to Tokyo. So let me look it up. The one with the red light district as well. Uh, no clue. No, no, that's also Shibuya. Shibuya has its own red light district. Shinjuku. Ah, yes. Of course. Yeah, the big sort of downtown area, the big party zone. Um, yeah. It was fascinating. Really fun experience. Yeah. So I want to finish up this thing about the generator hostel because I, I don't feel like it was, when I was there, it felt maybe frustrating, but not bad. It's only in retrospect, I was like, oh, actually that was, kind of dingy and I don't want to go back. <laughs> um, so two things. One thing is, you know how most hostels, you have a locker, you put your stuff yes. in and you can lock the stuff. Okay, so in at Generator, again, while I was there, nine years ago, a lot could have changed. You didn't get a locker, you got a wire cage that you can oh, lock. Oh, jeez. Yikes, that is rough. Okay, that's really and, cost-cutting. Uh, yeah, and it's a little bit sketchy because you're you're putting all your valuables yeah. into a wire cage which you can lock but then everybody can see everybody else's right stuff. I mean I'm maybe guessing it's a security measure surely maybe, yeah, maybe. I, I'm not sure and then okay. in a corner of the dorm there is a tiny 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 sink oh no right and uh, that always kind of creeps me out I mean, maybe not creep me out but I'm always skeptical of sinks in the same space as a room. Sure. And I'm not sure why, whether that's just a sanitation thing or or whatever. But then the the other thing that really sticks out to be about generator, there is this one particular shower, right? So they have shared bathrooms, shared showers and everything. Yeah, and which course, is typical of many hostels, right? Which yeah. is typical. And another another strike against it is that if I remember correctly, they had privacy curtains, but no locks. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. In the yeah, showers. Yeah. yeah. Right? I've seen Again. that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I mean, different cultures will have different yeah. approaches. So the Japanese do this as well, but they have, yeah, it's very safe in Japan. So. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's one of those things that you just deal with it. but And not necessarily a strike unless you really care about having locks on your showers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But then in the generator hostel, there's this one shower cubicle, right? That has no cold water. No cold water? Surely the other way around. Only hot. Piping hot. Yikes. Straight from the heater. Right? Okay. So it's like, you know, you um you, you go in there expecting a shower, and yep. then you turn on the shower, and there is no matter how you turn the handle, the only thing you get is boiling water. Oh god. Okay. Oh and, wow, okay, that's <laughs> that is not pleasant. That really and doesn't... I mean you just kind of chalk it up to like just hostile things, right? Yeah, yeah. But then afterwards, a few months later, I was talking to some mutual friends actually, and they were recounting their experiences like traveling and saying like, hey, uh, when we were in London, we stayed in this terrible hostel. And like one night we even had to use the shower that only had hot water. I was like, that's the generator hostel and it's the second floor and it's the God, first one on the it's right. It's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I know exactly which hostel and exactly which the exact cubicle that you're talking about. Jeez, right. wow. Yeah, and I mean, since that day, right, I have been thinking, well, I mean, I'm still going to complain if you're accommodation only has cold water. Yeah. But when that happens, I would just think to myself, at least you can shower and get clean. Yes. I mean, yeah. I I mean, at some point you have to drill back to basics, but then also it's like, as you get older, maybe the luxury, you know, you you feel like... I would just pay the money and 
right now that at least we have some some money, right? Yeah, not not yeah. a lot, but you know, marginally Speak more for money. yourself. Well, I mean, I do. Yeah, I know. I'm a PhD student. I have taken a vow of poverty. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't know. It's definitely one of the things I like about being a software engineer that that I actually get paid properly. Oh my God. I know. I know. So, so yeah. So this is the situation now. So the, the situation is, is it worthwhile for me to schlep to Stockholm, right? just for one day or two days. If I, you know, two days means I have to stay one night in Stockholm mm-hmm. and then I end up spending less time in London, mm-hmm. right? It may not actually translate to any savings at all right. or any discernible change in expenditure. Right. Um, it's just whether or not is it worthwhile for me to spend less time in London? Because after my visit to the Natural History Museum at Tring, mm-hmm. I may not even have time to go back to London to sightsee because... I'm planning to, well, my current plan is to at least drop by Cambridge to visit a friend uh-huh. and to see the new Natural History Museum. But now I'm also thinking of perhaps going to Oxford as well because they have material there that I would like to examine. So, so my view on this is never having been to Stockholm and not knowing right. exactly how important this social trip is. Right. My view on that is between those two things, those two options, right? It's a no-brainer to go to London. Skip Stockholm. Skip Stockholm, yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm uh, if, let me... If, yeah. if those are the two options, right? For me, yeah. I would just do London. Especially since you haven't spent a lot of time there. Like, you will not run out of things to do. I have spent five full days in London. And not enough. That, I have not been to the Tate. I have not been to the Imperial War Museum. I have not been to the Science Museum. The Science Museum, I give a miss because they are now taking all money, which I, I disagree with. So I'm boycotting them. Okay. Um, I have not been to the London Zoo. I have spent a grand total of two hours literally running through the British Museum. And I think I've talked about this before. Yeah, no. And I have only finished the first floor of the VNA. Mm-hmm. Which took me four hours. Yeah. I have not seen Big Ben. <laughs> Believe it or not. Because there was a ren- was under renovation, I guess. It was under well. renovation. And also because I just my, my itinerary just did not allow right. me to get even close to the Houses of Parliament. Right. Like the only time I literally saw Big Ben was when I was taking a coach down from Edinburgh to London and we passed by Big Ben. Right. And there was scaffolding everywhere. That's, oh, that's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. The last time I was in London, my itinerary was literally morning museum or morning bird watching slash museum, afternoon bird watching slash museum, evening theater. <laughs> right. So yeah. none of that actually brought me anywhere close to Buckpell, to Westminster Abbey, to London Bridge. <laughs> Buckpell? What? Sorry, the this heck? is a British. Uh, this is what Miranda Hart calls it Buckpell. Uh, <laughs> all right. Right. I've seen Hyde Park. I've, I've had wonderful, wonderful walk to Hyde Park. I didn't even end up at Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't even been to the Borough freaking market. Okay. So, you um, know, there's tons to do. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely do London if you can. I will say, okay, so my experience with, with London, especially after that interesting hostel experience. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, interesting. I stayed in an Airbnb for a period of time, but right. that was because I got very lucky. Mm. Uh, it was a pair of new Airbnb hosts. Oh, okay. So they, I think they did not know how to price accurately for London. Mm-hmm. And I was able to snag their, basically the whole apartment for oh, uh, 65 USD a night. That's still quite pricey though. It is still, a night for But the whole, whole apartment is actually really good. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, I think the nearest tube station was not Whitechapel because Whitechapel is overground, I think. Okay, um, right. That's a bit far though. Yeah, but it was in the eastern, it was on the east, it was mm. in East London, basically. Oh, it's and, not that far actually. No, it's like east of Tower of London-ish area. So oh, that's it's not, not too- that far. I mean, if your main focus is going to be around VNA, Natural History Museum, mm. or even something like, you know, British Museum, Russell Square area, yeah. then yeah, it's going to be a, a trip every day, but it's going to be, it's going to be better than many people's commutes. Right. You're not in Canary Wharf. <laughs> I mean, even Canary Wharf. Okay. Maybe I am a little bit too uh, conditioned by mm. budget travel. Um, mm. Even Canary Wharf, I don't regard as that bad because you have easy access to the overground. That's true. From there, yeah, yeah, so yeah. 
yeah, even Canary Wharf, I think, is if you are, if it's just a place to crash for the night, right? Every morning, yeah. you, you spend maybe half an hour getting where you want to go in the morning and then right. at night you... Yeah, that. well, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out for sure. The question now is, you know, how much will, will set me back? La? Because, you know, yeah, I still haven't figured out my Oxford slash Cambridge thing yet. But yeah, so because I finish at, in Tring on the 11th, so I have what, five days? So I might just do like two days Oxford, two days Cambridge, and then one day in London and fly up. Because right. I'm flying out, I think, anyway, morning of the 16th. So I don't even have a, a full day to spend in, in London on my last day anyway. It's just get to Heathrow and then get the hell yeah. out of the UK. Yeah. Yeah. It wow. is It is going to be a bit of a rush also because yeah, my flight out of London is 10.15am. Uh, <laughs> It's going to right. be a bit of an interesting experience because the Netherlands just went into lockdown today. Partial uh-huh. lockdown. Because they're seeing like 1.6k cases every day now. Yeah, um, I've been hearing about that. Yeah, so they have gone into a three-week partial lockdown which should end just before I arrive. Should end just yep. before I arrive. And I mean, you know, their idea of a lockdown really isn't that serious. It's like, oh, restaurants close by 8pm. 1.5 Which they probably did anyway, to be honest. Right? Come on! <laughs> so I, I mean, okay, fine. Even if they extend the lockdown, it shouldn't affect me too much. Yeah. Right? And you know, I'm not one of those people that goes to crowded places. The only crowded place I will find myself in is the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think know. you'll be fine, honestly. And I think because this is, the stuff that you're going to be doing is not going to be impacted by a lockdown. You're not traveling for a concert or anything of the sort. So. I'm not going to go to a concert. You're right. Yeah. I mean, well, if in London, if, if there are restrictions, promise theaters will probably be first to be. I mean, yeah, the thing about the, that, that does suck. Yeah. But you have a lot of other options in London. I have other things to do. I have it's, a million other things yeah, to do. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, I mean, there are some places, like for example, Oberhausen in Germany, mm-hmm. for a period of time, they it was essentially a theater with a town yeah. around it. Yeah. And a shopping mall. <laughs> right. right. Like, okay, maybe that's, that's a bit unfair, but it was one of those. <laughs> so Oberhausen is in the, it's near Köln. So it's in that mm-hmm. whole general Rhein-Ruhr region. And they had a big theater right across from a big shopping mall. Right. And it basically was like the theater for that region. So like the big musicals would end up there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm. They've closed the theater. So I mean, the theater is closed. I think not for COVID. I'm not sure though why it closed. But yeah. So yeah, there are people who do live there. (laughs) Right. But (laughs) like that's a case where the municipality is like extremely dependent on that one theater. Like if you cannot have a show, you have no reason to go there. Right. The shopping mall is not a reason. Right. But that's not the case with, with, with London. You have a lot of other things to do. So I don't think it will affect you that much. No. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I still have this, the second floor of, of the VNA, which is, you know, I think it's astounding. I mean, I have told you my story of the VNA, right? How I wandered in by accident. I'm, I'm pretty sure you have yes, on this I have. podcast. And then, yes. So. On this podcast as well. And how I told myself, I will have to leave by one hour. <laughs> and no. Four hours later, I finished the first floor and I said, okay, fuck it. No. <laughs> yeah. The VNA right? is, is one of those. It's, the thing about it is that it naturally you're going to find something that appeals to you in there for sure. Yeah. That's one Not thing. just that. I know someone who works there now. Right. So, but you then, know, if I, if I do the full-on guided walk, that's going to take even more time. I think the thing about the VNA is that it doesn't tell you what it does in the name. Yeah. And so it's very easy to underestimate how much time you're going to spend there. <laughs> I didn't even see a sign. That's the thing, right? When, you know, when I walked in, I didn't know where I was because there was no clear sort of... Yeah, sign you, telling you what 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 museum you're in. All I saw was the Venus de Milo, or there was some some exhibition of the, of the Venus de Milo. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna walk in. We have four minutes left. We do have four minutes left, and I but, I wanted to steal the four minutes and talk about the other hostel that yes. I stayed in in London. Yes, which I'm pretty sure it's closed now. Mm. It was I want to say it was nearer to King's Cross than than Generator, like legit. Okay. I think the nearest tube station was King's Cross. It was called The Clink. That was an awful name. And that was because the building used to be a jail. 
And I feel like that time that I stayed there, it was, I think I was in a room with 10 or 12 people. But they used every inch of that room space. Oh, I can imagine. I'm actually not sure. When you look at some dorm layouts, right? There is some, there's space between the bids. (laughs) Okay. This one did not have that. You are looking at, there's, if you are on the lower bunk, yeah, right? Because of course they have bunk bids. If you are on a lower bunk, when it's lights out, you get no light. Okay, I have interesting news for you. It's actually still running, but it's under uh, renovation until March 2022. Ah, uh, okay. I'm looking at photos of it and you, oh my God, there is no right. space. Yep. No interbit space. Like one bit leads to the next. My Yes, exactly. God. Exactly. It looks and, fancy um, though, but it's really tight quarters. Really, really. It feels really, even really more tight. claustrophobic than a capsule hotel. Where at least you have walls around your bed. Right. I mean, because at least that you have privacy. Yeah. Right? Wow, yep. geez. You can't even like… Uh, you the know. one that I was in was Clink 261. So oh, okay. not, not the one that is under renovation. Ah, okay. I think yep. Clink 261 seems to still be available? It seems to be available, yeah. Yeah, oh God, okay. Uh, staying Bloody at hell. Clink feels a bit like coming home. I'm not so sure about that. Wow, these people have weird notions of what home means. Yeah. So, okay, I, I take it that you're telling me that these are the two hostels to perhaps avoid by and large? Uh, okay, the thing about Clink, I would say, is it's fine if you can stand the lack of space. I, no, I mean, look, I can't even... Looking at the photos, I can't even look at my phone in the bed without disturbing the neighbour, right? And yeah. Given these quarters, that's just asking for COVID transmission, which honestly, I would uh, yeah, that's, do without. Yeah, that's true. So I'm looking at Airbnbs. There are some interesting ones. It's like $50 a night one near Regent's Park. Yeah. Which is actually a pretty damn good deal. That's good. Right? Regent's Park is London Zoo, which I haven't visited yet. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't go and see Raffles' grave, whatever it's worth. Oh, <laughs> whatever. Yep. And the British Museum is just down the road from there as well. UOL. So, right, yeah. You know, I can finally take a leisurely stro- stroll through, through the British Museum without alarming the security guards <laughs> by running. Okay, <laughs> like, well, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we have to wrap up. We have to wrap up, yes. So this is Monkey Mine, episode 30. There we go. And uh, you can find the show notes for this at monkeymind.xyz slash 030. And I believe the next time we record will just be, be just before your trip. Oh yes, it will That's be on right. the fifth. Or would well, you rather, for, you know, we record while I'm in while I've just no. arrived in Amsterdam? No, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Because I won't right. be dragging this microphone with me. All right, okay, that's all. Yes, bye bye. Till next time, bye bye.